And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Let's pray. Father, we want to be in the company of your disciples this morning. As we hear these stories and these images, would you, Jesus, by your presence, by your Holy Spirit, make them clear to us, explain them to us this morning? Uh, Not just so that we would walk away with more knowledge in our heads, but so that we would walk away with the knowledge that changes our lives. So that we would grow in faith, so that we would mature in obedience and response to Jesus and to his message. So, would you help us this morning? Would you help us to have the humility to be provoked, to be challenged, to receive the good gift of your word, and may it produce fruit in our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these couple of parables here in Mark chapter 4 that we read, I like to think of them as parables for type A personalities. I'm not type A. Um, I, don't, I don't know what type I am. Maybe, maybe type D, E, or F. I'm not sure. Uh, but what, what, are, what are type A personalities? What are these people always asking? They're always asking, what's the plan? What's the plan? Here's an objective. How do we get it done? You see, I say here's an objective. Let's think about that a little bit more. Uh, Type A people say, here's the objective. How do we accomplish it? How do we get this goal done? And these parables respond to that sort of question. Because Jesus has set out a grand objective, a grand goal, the kingdom of God. Heaven coming to earth. God's rule and reign being reestablished in the creation that has attempted to reject Him. That is the goal that Jesus sets in front of us, the kingdom of God. And we see a couple of images of the kingdom in these parables, one at at the end of each parable, the harvest and the shade-producing tree. Both of these are images taken from the Old Testament, used to describe what happens when God reigns. When people turn to Him in worship, when they submit their lives to Him, when He becomes their all, what happens? An abundant harvest. A life-producing tree. Images rooted, pun intended, rooted all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Life as it should be. Full flourishing human life as God intended it for it to be. That's what happens when God's kingdom comes. But, my type A friends ask, what's the plan? What's the plan? How does that get accomplished? How does that kind of kingdom, the life-giving, life-producing rule of God, how does that happen in this world and in our lives. 
Those are vital questions for all of us. Not just those of us who are type A. And those are vital questions because our deepest need is the rule of God. Your deepest need is to live a life of worship. To have every area of your life come under the life-giving authority of God as King. That is your deepest need. That is my deepest need. That is our city's deepest need. The kingdom of God. But how does it happen? How does it come? Well, Jesus shows us in these parables that he uses in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God happens slow and small. Slow and small. First of all, slow. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, comes not in a moment, but in a process. So notice in this first parable, in verses 26 uh, to 29, Jesus talks about a process, right? Planting, growing, harvesting. And each of those moments belongs to the kingdom. The kingdom is not limited to planting, it is not limited to growing, and it's not limited to harvesting. The kingdom is like all of them together. It encompasses the whole process. And so the image is this, God's kingdom is coming, beginning with Jesus, with Jesus' ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the planting, that is the beginning of the kingdom. And then the kingdom grows. And that period of growth is happening even now. And then in the end there will be a harvest and the kingdom will finally and fully flower and be completed when Jesus returns in judgment and rescue to make all things new. The kingdom is not a moment. It is a process. Now Jesus emphasized this because it was not the expectation of the people who heard him speaking these words. You see, for the people who heard this parable as Jesus first spoke it, they would have not expected the kingdom to happen this way. This would not have been the plan that they thought should happen. You see, when we hear the kingdom, when we hear words like authority, we're suspicious. That bothers us. But that was not the case for the people who heard Jesus tell this parable. They longed for the kingdom of God. They longed for the authority of God because the authority of God meant meant that they were released from oppressive powers and empires like the Roman Empire. So they wanted the kingdom to come. But they expected the kingdom to come like a lightning bolt. Like a sudden explosion. Like a moment where everything is done all at once what scholars call an apocalyptic mindset or an apocalyptic worldview. And what Jesus is saying here is, yes, the kingdom is coming. It has come. It is here. But it's not apocalypse now. It's apocalypse now. Right? It is apocalypse in slow motion. Where there is a beginning and a middle and an end. And the kingdom comes and happens in a process of sometimes imperceptible growth and change. So Jesus says God is here. He is doing his renewing work. 
but it doesn't happen as quickly as you would like. It doesn't happen as fully as you would like. And so the kingdom, as Jesus teaches it, requires patience and waiting. Words that we're not particularly happy about. You know those sappy sports movies uh, where you get to the end of the movie and it's the, the final moments of the final game and the heroic team is losing and they have one more play by which they can win the game and everything goes into slow motion and you see the quarterback drop back and we see the the ball leave his hands and fly slowly through the air and miraculously fall in the hands of the receiver who walks into the end zone and wins the game with a winning touchdown. You know those moments? That's a little bit what it is like for us to experience Christ's kingdom. We live mid-air between the quarterback and the receiver. We live between Jesus coming and beginning the renewing, restoring kingdom work of God, and Him returning to finish the work that He started. And here's what this means. If you are a Christian, if you are in Jesus by faith, here's what this means for your life. You ready? Profound truth? This means that your life will not be perfect. Your life will not be perfect. If you are in Jesus... Because you live midair, you will struggle, you will fail, and you will know the frustration of living in a world that is still tragic. A world that is still full of the effects of sin. You will know that struggle. That's the bad news. The good news is that God's kingdom is present in your imperfection. God's renewing, restoring, recreating kingdom is present in your imperfection. Your struggles, your failures, your sadness, those things belong to that purposeful process that Jesus began. And what this does for us is it protects us from either naivete or cynicism. Because here's the problem. Most of us, or sometimes we naively believe that if we do the right thing, then all will be well. Now, if we follow the correct steps, Marriage will be good, kids will be good, work will be good, and poverty will vanish from the face of the earth. No, Jesus says, the kingdom is slow. The kingdom is here, but it is still growing. It is not yet fully here. And then the problem becomes, many of us, we experience that, and we experience the frustration and the sadness, and so we step back, and we shrug our shoulders, and we throw up our hands, and we try to protect ourselves from pain with cynicism. And Jesus calls out us out of that as well. He says to us, those of us who struggle with cynicism, know the kingdom is here. It is here. And it is growing. It is not perfectly here. But it is really here. And so you can move towards the world in hope. 
Jesus' teaching about the kingdom gives us the freedom to have an honest sadness. An honest sadness about our own brokenness and the brokenness of this world. But right alongside of that, his teaching about the kingdom also gives us a persistent expectation. A persistent expectation that Jesus is at work and he will complete the work that he has started. The work of making all things new and we have to live with both. So the kingdom is a process. The kingdom comes and happens slow. But what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives, in our moment? What does the process of the kingdom look like? Well, Jesus secondly shows us that the kingdom happens not only slow, but small. The second parable here in in Mark 4 that we read in verses verses 30 to 32, it, it is a parable that is about a contrast in size. Right? Jesus over-exaggerates both the smallness of the mustard seed and the largeness of the mustard plant. He over-exaggerates their size to emphasize the difference. And in the end, the difference is between appearance and impact. This parable is about a difference between appearance and impact. Jesus says what appears small, tiny, insignificant, has an enormous impact on the world. As I said earlier, many of these images are drawn from the Old Testament. And if you go to the Old Testament prophets, you will see the image of a shade-producing tree used to describe how God will bring renewal, not only for His people, but for all the nations. And so that the birds who flock to this tree and find shade in it, are the nations who used to be God's enemies and now have become God's friends. Those who worship Him, love Him, and live for Him. It's a common image in the Old Testament. It's actually a common image in much of ancient mythology of a tree that that represents a world-changing empire. Jesus says, that is happening, but it doesn't look like it. That is happening, world-changing empire happening in what looks small, insignificant, weak, and frail. What Jesus is doing is he is preparing us, he's preparing those who hear him. For if we believe in him, if we follow him, he's preparing us for what our lives and what our communities will often look like. Think about those, not only who first heard Jesus' words, but those who first read them. Mark, here, writes the story of Jesus, his actions, his teaching. And he writes it down for the earliest Christian communities. Now remember what these communities were. They were small, insignificant groups of people at the margins. They were ostracized. They were at the margins politically, religiously, socially. They were in some cases violently opposed. These communities were small, weak, fragile, seemingly insignificant. And so what does Jesus say? 
That's where my kingdom is. That's how God's world-transforming empire happens. In what seems insignificant. You see, God's kingdom often looks less like the summer blockbuster superhero movie and more like the quiet, character-driven indie film. God's kingdom happens in what appears insignificant. So, his kingdom is present not only in your imperfection, but in your insignificance. His kingdom is present in our faltering, fragile attempts to live out our faith at work and at home and at school and in our relationships God's kingdom is present in those seemingly insignificant moments. In our seemingly insignificant lives. God's kingdom is present here this morning as we, a small community, gather around the gospel, the message of Christ's kingdom. His kingdom is present. It is at work. He is producing a world-transforming empire. In and through us. And what this does for us is it it doesn't so much change what we do, it changes how we see what we do. So I was in a restaurant um, restroom recently, and the uh, the mirror over the sink of this restroom was a little different. It was set a little higher, and it was angled out like this. And so I looked up into the mirror, and my first thought was, That's not me. That's not what I look like. And then my second thought was, no, that's how the vast majority of people see me. (laughs) Higher up, looking down, right? Because I'm so stinking short. (laughs) That's more the perception of what people have. This parable is moving the mirror for us. It is giving us a truer perception of our lives of this community. That even in what seems small and weak and insignificant and fragile, if we are in Jesus, then God's world-transforming empire is at work in us. So, don't underestimate your insignificance. Don't underestimate your mundane. Don't underestimate the impact of the contact between the gospel, the message about the kingdom, and your seemingly boring life. Jesus says the potential impact is mind-blowing. He is present in your insignificance. Don't underestimate the insignificance of this community. Yes, we are a small community, and we're especially small this morning. But you know what? Because of Jesus... God's renewing, restoring, recreating, world-transforming empire is present, is at work, is making itself known in and through us. So what's the plan? The plan is slow and small. The plan of the kingdom may be not what we expect but is a plan that calls for our faith. And Jesus' teaching here prepares us not only for our lives, but it prepares us for His life as well. Because the patterns here, 
They're the patterns of the cross. These are the patterns of the cross where God makes His strength known in what? In weakness. He makes His wisdom known in what appears to the world foolish. This is Jesus' work of the cross. How does Jesus bring the kingdom of God? He becomes a seed that enters the ground and dies to produce a harvest of life. How does Jesus bring the kingdom of God? He suffers the consequences of our rebellion so that we can live under the gracious rule of God. How does Jesus bring the kingdom of God? He hung on a tree to produce for us, for those who believe in Him, a tree of life where we can eat and know life with God, the life for which we were made. And it's by believing that message, it's by entrusting ourselves to Jesus in that way where we will learn a patient hope and a faithful obedience by by which we participate in the glorious kingdom of God. Let's pray.